rooted in substance, not flash, rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet, right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man, right? They're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference, right? This game ain't gonna be played in Hollywood, it's gonna be played on the grass, right? It's gonna be played on the grass. Let's go. That's University of Oregon football coach Dan Lanning giving his pregame speech against Colorado. I'm John Canzano. John Wilner and I talk about that speech and a whole bunch more on an all-new episode of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. You just heard Oregon coach Dan Lanning's speech to his team before the Colorado showdown. And that speech, speech traveled around the college football world. I thought it was just a glimpse into the way coaches talk to their teams in a fairly normal way before games. We just got to see it, right? We don't usually get access to the pregame speeches in that fashion. I had no problem with anything Lanning said. You? Not at all. And in fact, I just ran through a wall again. You know, like, we know, like, anybody who has been around a college football locker room or a player or even been in a, been on a high school team, you know somebody's given that hype speech, right? Somebody's job on the staff is to get the players fired up or get focused. And, you know, he knew the camera was there. That's not a speech that's that, that's that unusual. But Dan Lanning... His job is to get Oregon prepared to play, and that speech was part of the preparation, and he did a really good job. Oregon showed up to play on Saturday. I think they were the better team, but they for sure showed up to play. I mean, you saw how they played in that first quarter, Wilner. I did, and the other piece to it is that speech is provides us with a glimpse into what life is going to be like for Colorado this season, right? I mean, in some ways, because of Dion. Because they won the the opening three games, because Shadur Sanders is is a hot name, everything, all the celebrity that's surrounding the program, you know, Colorado, they're going to have the target. That was a, a one in eleven team last year. They just lost by thirty six points, and they're still going to have a target on them. They are like Alabama in some ways. No matter what game they're playing, they're the story. And the opponent is going to feel like it's not getting enough attention. It's not getting enough respect. And it's going to be, it's going to push, force Colorado to, to be very motivated every week playing with a target on, on its back. Now, I think Colorado did a nice job of capturing and harnessing that kind of emotion. You know, it's personal through the first three weeks of the season. You know, there was the Matt Rule stuff at halftime in the Nebraska game, you know, the disrespect that they, felt in as a 21 point underdog against TCU and certainly the Colorado State game with the rivalry the sunglasses and the hat comment like all three weeks it was Colorado chip on its shoulder channeling that same energy it was like full disclosure kind of funny to see Dan Lanning in Oregon's you know 68 million dollar football facility with the uh, Brazilian hardwood floors <laughs> and the color changing cleats saying, hey, you know, we're about substance, but I'll grant him this. He's new, and it was an SEC, 
SEC-style performance on the field from Oregon, and it was an SEC-themed speech. You know, we are about substance. We are rooted. Well, you know, these are our roots, and they're about clicks. And I, I don't think anybody should take any of that personally. That's Dan Lanning trying to get his team ready to play. And then, subsequently, they go out and they dominate on the field. Like, they backed it up. They dominated the marketing and the on-field, right? Because I thought what Lanning said at halftime was brilliant. You know, he basically got people to stick around. I don't even remember the halftime score, but the way he he framed it was, you know, we're going to try to pound these guys into submission and score 60 or 70 points. And I think that got people to stick around and watch the second half. And then Oregon was just brilliant with that post-game video that they released, I guess it was maybe Monday, right? That had where they captured the Colorado players talking trash before the game. I mean, it was just a, a marketing win for the Ducks all weekend, as it was a victory on the field. Yeah, it's kind of, this is what Oregon does, right? I mean, this is what Nike and the power of Nike and the marketing machine they do well. And you know that Oregon is filming everything. Oregon is creating their own videos and their own promotions, but. You know, I think they really waited until Monday morning. And when they heard some of the national TV shows, when they saw Keyshawn Johnson criticizing Oregon and they saw Skip Bayless criticizing Oregon, I think the marketing machine went, oh, yeah, guess what we have? Because we film everything. And they just went into their archive and they had, you know, obviously the footage of the Colorado players talking trash on the field. And they were able to push back. And why? Because Oregon cares about its brand. It cares about its brand more than others. And it does a better job of protecting its brand than others. And I think it, it was evidence of that. And it was really smart stuff. And just, you know, look, being in that stadium was just really interesting. You know, I've covered Oregon football games for 20 years. I've never seen the team that fired up for a game. Not Washington, not Oregon State. You know, they've been fired up before. Big games, USC, fans fired up. I've seen the fans fired up, but not quite like that. And I do think it had to do with the fact that Colorado got so much attention in the first three weeks and it was a little bit of Oregon going, oh yeah, you know, we, we, we've spent the last 15 years preparing for this moment. You guys have been at it for, you know, nine months. And so I think there was a little bit of, we're going to show you and Oregon just you know, had better players and, you know, sure. evident, oh, yeah. evident. They're going to have that, that, but Colorado's going to face that. We're going to show you thing a, a lot. And, and I think that you know, that's just part of the deal having Dion as your coach. And I th I think Dion expects that. I have absolutely no issue with anything Dion has done so far. I mean, you know, the receipt thing was was kind of funny after TCU. To me, he he's done nothing that should engender uh, you know, dislike or animosity. He has brought an immense amount of attention to the Pac-12 and to the sport of college football. There's a ton of people paying attention that would not otherwise. I mean, his kids, they've had their moments where you think to yourself, boy, I, I don't know about that, right? I mean, the the thing with Shadur poking the guy in the eyes and and then the other day with what Shiloh said and certainly uh, that video that had the Colorado staffer talking about murdering the Ducks. I mean, that's unbecoming of a Colorado employee. I, that that can't happen. But I got no problem at all with Dion. I think it's been fantastic. And he's he's Dion. And if you expected anything different, then you haven't been paying attention to his career or personality for the last 30 years. It was quite a spectacle in the postgame. I went to 
Deion Sanders post game news conference instead of Dan Lanning's because I figured I could see the video and uh, of Lanning and you know read the transcript and I wanted to kind of take in what that post game was for Colorado. Oregon typically has a small tent that they put up outside the visiting locker room and this is just you know go through the tunnel at Austin you go out on across into this sort of flat area where the buses are able to pull in and they set up a tent that normally can house about 15 people that that wasn't going to be enough they had an expanded enlarged tent that was enclosed there was probably 65 people in that room about five or six tv cameras before Deion sanders comes in up a table in the front of the room the the seats are all occupied and all of a sudden, production crew comes in, I, I assume for the reality TV show, comes into the room, and they start rearranging everything, and they ask, you know, can we move the table? Can we have the front row be back? I mean, there's, it was a spectacle. In, in the, and then here comes Coach Prime, his security people, his own media people, the media relations uh, person, Curtis for Colorado, was at the front of the room sort of overseeing things, but... It was a spectacle. It, it was really interesting. And I thought he handled himself really well in the news conference. You know, he gave credit to Oregon. Yep. He talked about getting beat in all phases of the game. He, you know, the Curtis, uh, the Colorado SID said, you know, one more question. He answered it. Then he turned and said, I'll take two or three more. I think he really wanted to talk about it because in his, in his own Deion Sanders way, I don't think he had given a good enough soundbite yet. And I think he knew that. And so he he you know he gave a few more answers at the end. I you know for a guy who I think is going to have success at Colorado eventually, it was a sobering moment. But I I kind of felt like he wasn't all that surprised that that Oregon dominated them. He must have seen it on film. Well, I mean, he he's got to know Oregon's got better players, especially offensive and defensive line, right? I was waiting to see how he was going to react to the first loss. To me, that was going to be real telling. And, uh, you know, was he going to was he going to face the media? Was he going to be accountable and be candid? And he was all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I thought it was a, a real good performance for him in that moment, but also a good uh, indicator of what he's going to be like throughout the season, because they're, uh, you know, they're going to lose again. They could lose badly this weekend and we'll get to the picks in, in a minute. But uh they are. They have a real challenge. There has never. There's never been anything like this in the sport, and there's certainly never been a team that is going to have a target on its back like Colorado does after not winning anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that is. It's. They are like Alabama. You know what it is. Kind of like. It's like what the uh, the Chiefs are going through right now in the NFL with the Taylor Swift thing, right? Because all there's tons of people paying attention now to the NFL and the Chiefs. Because of Taylor Swift, just like there's tons of people paying attention to college football because of Dion. Yeah, and and look, you know there are a lot of people who are upset about the final score and talking about Oregon going for two and Oregon went for two against Portland State. You know they scored 81 points. They went for two against Texas Tech. You know this is what Dan Landing. If it's there, they're going to they're going to try to get it. And the fake punt, I do think, was. Uh, indicative of the lack of respect that they have for Colorado's offense against their defense. Like, I I think the fake punt was there, too, but I think Oregon on its own 17 just went, um, you know, even if we turn the ball over, we don't think they can score a touchdown. 
So I think they made a calculated decision there. But that, to me, was the the play that let the air out of Colorado because when Oregon got the ball back after the fourth down conversion on the punt, there was just body language change on the Colorado yeah. sideline. Well, and th- but that's when fake punts are most effective in that kind of situation, right? That's that's how you, it was a perfect call, perfect call. And, uh, you know, Colorado's got uh, – I, I don't think a whole lot has changed – to me, uh, Shadur Sanders is is has been better, quicker than I had expected. But the problems that we all expected them to have at offensive and defensive line are still there, and those are going to be exploited by teams, maybe USC, but a lot of teams over the course of the season. Uh, and Dion's going to need two or three recruiting cycles to get get the Buffaloes to the point where they can compete for a title in the trenches. And and then once he does that, if he's still there, th- you know, then they're going to be a top 10 team. Yeah. And I think that this season's going to be tough. And I, you know, I think we all saw the signs in the Colorado state game. Nebraska didn't have a quarterback. They beat Nebraska TCU. They might be very mediocre by the end of the season. The, the Colorado state game was the eye opener for me because Colorado state, you know, Washington state put 50 on them and Colorado struggled two overtimes to win that game. And I thought, Ooh, there's, kind of where the shine came off for me but I look at their schedule in their conference schedule and I think they can beat Stanford I think they can beat Arizona State and I think they have a shot against Arizona other than that I don't see a clear win for Colorado in conference play so I think the question for them now is will they be bowl eligible or will they get beat up here in the first two weeks of conference play by Oregon and USC to the point where they maybe only get to four or five wins for the season. So I think that's a big question for them. Do you see them as a bowl team today? If you had gun to your head, or is Colorado, do they make a bowl game? I think they can win three more. Given what I've seen of the other teams, you know, especially Arizona State and Stanford, uh, you know, they can w- beat those teams and they'll be favored. Uh, then they got to just find one win somewhere. And and I think they could do it. Uh, I would I would put six as my that would be my most likely uh, scenario for Colorado would be six wins, and then whether it's seven and five or five and seven I I don't know. But he's got them up to that level very quickly. He's done a he's done done a terrific job so far. The question for me is can 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 they keep Shador Sanders upright? Can they keep him healthy? They they don't run the ball. He said it in the post game. Coach Prime said in the post game. You know, basically everybody knows where we can't run. And so it puts a lot of pressure, makes them one-dimensional. They're a lot like a team late in a football game that is trailing by a couple of touchdowns that everybody knows they're going to throw the ball. Defensive linemen just have their ears pinned back, and, and they're coming after him. And so I just don't know. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't play in all the rest of the games, they won't win those games I talked about. And that's where they become not bowl eligible. And you know, I, they brought their backup quarterback into the game late in kind of mop-up duty against Oregon, and I thought uh, they won't win a game with the backup. So I think the question is, do they keep Shadur healthy? If they do, I'll give him six. If they don't, it could be four or five. Um, I'm John Canzano. You can read my work at johnconzano.com. You can read John Wilner at pac12hotline.com. we got to talk about Washington State, Oregon State, and in particular— the ESPN College Game Day experience that featured Lee Corso. Now, Jake Dickert referenced it in the postgame. He talked about not being happy with ESPN. 
Um, here's what Lee Corso said. Can we do this first of all? Because it's kind of an auditory illusion. It's like when they play a sound and you hear one thing, I hear another thing. And then once you tell me, I hear what you're saying, what you're hearing. Well, tell me what Lee Corso says here, Wilner. Let's start with that. In the Nobody Wants It Bowl. Yeah. Nobody wants it. Poor guys. Watch his name beats Oregon State. Does he say nobody watches or nobody wants us? I think he's saying nobody wants us. And he's saying he's saying nobody wants us. But if you're Jake Dickard and you're not, for whatever reason, you don't hear it great, you could easily misinterpret that to be nobody watches. And that's what Dickard did, right? Uh, but I think it's pretty clear he's saying nobody wants us, which is in some ways uh, very true, right? But why let that stop you from a good post-game narrative after you just had a, a big-time win in, in an important game, right? And and Dickert is clearly using the backdrop of realignment and Washington State's uncertain future as fuel for his team and Good for him because it's working. They're playing great. Uh, you know they are they are underrated, I think. And uh, certainly when you look at who they've beaten, it's a very impressive resume. He has got something going, and they're they're on a mission. And it'll be interesting to see how how far this goes. Well, Cameron Ward is the big difference for me with a new coordinator, Ben Arbuckle, calling the plays. He looks really comfortable. But I want to go back to what Lee Corso said or didn't say for a second. I I, I want to play it again because. At first, I heard nobody watches. Then, in the nobody watches bowl, yeah, nobody wants it. Poor guys. <laughs> okay, so nobody watches. Nobody wants us. I I don't even think it matters. Like I, I listen to it a hundred times. I I start to hear different things. But I think the bigger thing is that it was a joke, and it's happening on game day with huge audiences, and once again. Is it Washington State? Is it Oregon State? It's both of them, and ESPN's making fun of them. And well, I, and ESPN, right? And ESPN is viewed as one of the villains in this. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily accurate, but that's part of the thing too, right? ESPN and Fox were, were had a huge role in what happened in the Pac-12, and here you got ESPN on-air personalities joking about. The, what's left, uh, you know, what's left of the of the conference, and and I could see why Washington State would be very sensitive. And I think that for you know, there's there's production meetings that happen before these shows. And to be fair to Lee Corso, he's 88 years old. He's had a stroke. He's up on the panel because he's Lee Corso, and he looks down at a sheet of paper before he makes the joke. And you know, he's checking his notes. And I would bet you, Wilner, that a producer planted that joke. And said, here's something funny you can say. The nobody watches or the nobody wants us bull. Whatever it is, it's a joke. And oh, by the way, the game's on Fox, not ESPN. I don't think they make the same joke if the game, like if game day is leading into the broadcast. I think that's a, a bigger and a different story. So I think you got a little bit of ESPN trying to rain on Fox's game. And, and, you know, the nobody wants us bull. You got Corso pretending to cry making a bad joke that probably was given to him by someone else and and not a fair position for him to be in either. Again, like, you know, he's an 88-year-old guy who's up there and he's kind of stumbling through the delivery of it. And in the end, I don't blame Jake Dickert and I don't blame Jonathan Smith if they're pissed off about that because it's the same thing that is keeping them out of a Power 5 conference. They have this, you know, they, they've got viewership. It's proven. And, and the game ends up draw, drawing a nice audience, you know, it, it outdraws 
UCLA Utah for viewership and and it was up against a whole bunch of other big games and so I'm left looking at that going like yeah I don't you know and I think Jake Tickert's right like to your point I think he's totally right to make it an issue but I think if you really want to point a finger you got to point it at Fox before you point it at ESPN uh, but still look the game the Oregon State Washington State game was up against Notre Dame Ohio State Iowa Penn State Texas Baylor and Arkansas LSU all those games drew more than 2.4 million viewers, and still Oregon State, Washington State drew a very respectable audience and outdid Utah, UCLA. I mean, that to me is feather in your cap if you are if you are Washington State and Oregon State. Yeah, it was what 1.5 million. And the thing is, Washington State's viewership numbers are good, right? I've seen the collective TV audience numbers for the entirety of the college football playoff era. So the 2014 season through 2022, Washington State's got more viewers in that span than any of the four schools that are going to the Big 12, right? They've done very well because, and partly because they got such a, a huge audience in Seattle. I don't think it's not that, I don't think Washington State is in its position just because of market size or viewership. It's a combination of the geography and the market, right? It doesn't have geography that fits and it doesn't have a market that is an absolute requirement or, or viewership that's an absolute requirement for another conference. So it's kind of stuck in the middle, right? Doesn't fit in the Big 12 ge geographically, doesn't quite have the media value necessarily to get into the Big 10, and it's left in this no man's land. It's not just one thing uh, that, that's the issue for the Cougars. The Beavers are a little different. Their viewership is not very good, and their geography is bad, right? I don't view those two schools. They're in the same position, but I don't view them as as the uh, uh, identical. Washington I, but State I disagree is, uh, with, is— I disagree with your geography point because— the Stanford and Cal to the ACC doesn't make sense. You know, Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten makes no sense with geography. The ge geography doesn't matter in this. I think it's their brand that is holding them back. Their brand and the perception that they have bad ratings holds them back because you look at, you, you mentioned the teams that are going into the Big 12. Okay, Washington State's got better ratings, but guess what? If all the teams going into the Big 12 or the, the composition of the Big 12 next year, if the season ended today... Big 12 would have Utah and Kansas ranked two teams. Same number of teams as the Pac-2, that two ranked teams. Like, these are good teams. The viewership is there, especially in the case of Washington State. And I just don't think geography is matters is, you know, when I see Stanford and Cal and I see Oregon, Oregon's brand is what is driving Oregon into the Big 10. So I think if, if the brands were better at those two schools, I think they would be somewhere. I, I don't know, because the four-corner schools fit in the Big 10. 12 geographically they're they you know they're bordering it right colorado used to be in the big 12 arizona's next to texas so they work stanford and cal are in the acc only because the acc was desperate right the big 12 is not desperate for any more schools if washington state had was the exact same profile but it was located in southern colorado or eastern arizona I think Washington State would be in the Big 12. Maybe, or if their brand were better. I, I just I keep coming back to the fact that I think when I, when I talk to people who are outside of the region, they think Pullman, Corvallis, they have an idea that, you know, it looks like Lubbock, Texas or something like that, you know. 
and then they think, well, they haven't had any success. And then you go back and you point out the Mike Leach era and you point out that Mike Riley won 29 games in a three-year period and that, you know, Dennis Erickson with Fiesta Bowl and Jonathan Smith has got his team ranked for the second year in a row. And, and then they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess they are pretty. So I think there's a brand. And, and the, to me, the brand, you can't control your geography. You can't control your TV ratings. You 100% can control your brand. I like to see the schools, you know, go go all in trying to fix their brands. How do you think they should do that? I think they need to hire somebody. Oliver Luck, I'm told, gave the advice to Oregon State and Washington State that they should hire a high-profile firm that is in that is uh, he he had suggested the firm, in fact, that President Obama used to get elected, uh, and he they he he had advised them to go out and hire a firm that would help them sort of put together the the story of their of their plight with using data all the stuff you talk about the TV metrics how successful they have been on the field that nobody notices all of that stuff and create the story nationally that they really belong like I think people in the Pac-12 footprint are puzzled by this and go oh man they really do belong in a power five people outside they might look for a half a second but I think if they could get a groundswell of enthusiasm nationally, do they do they force Fox and ESPN to take a second look? I don't know, but that's one of the recommendations that I'm told Oliver Luck made to Oregon State and Washington State. We'll see. I mean, if they can, if one of them, if not both, can keep this going and remain ranked all season, that certainly would would help, right? I just. Uh... ESPN and Fox, they know the data. They've, they've got access to all that stuff. They know that the Cougars draw outdraw Utah and ASU and Arizona and Colorado over the last 10 years. Uh, I just – I think that there's – it's just a hard sell for the Big 12 to, to then go to Corvallis and Pullman when you've got this pretty nice, you know, uh, regionality to – to your conference now with with two schools in Utah, two schools in Arizona. Yeah, but they were looking at San Diego State. They were looking, you know, I I get it. I get what you're saying, but I just think you have to, you got to, if you're Washington State and Oregon State, you have to keep punching. You have to try to control what you can control. The football success helps, but I think they need some help telling their story. You know, we were talking, we started this podcast talking about Oregon and Colorado and the marketing job they all do. Uh, Washington State and Oregon State need to get with that. Uh, we got five, what, five games this week because UCLA and Washington State are off. In it. They play each other next week, so they're both off. Uh, so we got five games, and there's a Friday night game, the first of, I think it's four conference games on Friday nights, and it's a good one. Utah at Oregon State, 6 o'clock, FS1, Friday night, short week, travel for Utah, Find it interesting that uh, Oregon State is a three to three and a half point home favorite in this game. Home field has mattered uh, when these teams play, but Wilner, how do you see that one? My baseline view on this is if I can get Utah plus points, I'm going to take it. Anytime I can get Utah plus points, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, yeah, Utah it doesn't happen very often, right? The Beavers are what field goal. I'll take I'll take the Utes on the road. I don't know if Cam Rising's playing or not. But I do know that there's not something's just not quite right with the Beavers from what from what I've seen. They're they're not functioning on all systems offensively. The defense is is certainly. I mean, Cam Ward carved them up, right? I'll take I'll take the the Utes and the points. I, I don't blame you for doing that. I think that what you've seen, what we've seen this season, 
That's that's where you would logically go. That said, Oregon State is 13-1 and at home in their last 14. Their only loss is a 17-14 loss to USC. They've got a quarterback problem. I don't know if they're willing to address it. I asked Jonathan Smith yesterday, you know, would he be willing to play Aiden Childs, his true freshman who is a superb passer, just a smoother player in the pocket. DJ Uyunglele just has not looked good, and I, I fear that Utah's defense is going to make him look really bad. It's a big game for DJ. It's a big game for Oregon State at home in their home stadium. I I think there's actually a chance Oregon State could win this game, but I, I agree with you. If you're giving three and a half, especially, and you're getting that with a Kyle Whittingham coach team, um, you know, my dad told me when I was a kid, don't bet against Don Shula. I'll tell my children, don't bet against Kyle Whittingham. So there I'll, you go. I'll take Utah on the points as well. There you go. We got uh, Saturday morning breakfast in Boulder, right? 9 a.m. USC at Colorado. USC is going to be fired up just same way, the same way Oregon was playing playing the Buffaloes. Uh, I expect a much better showing from Colorado. What, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think Colorado's offense can have some success because you know, I watched that Arizona State-USC game and you saw Arizona State move the ball. I think USC's defense is suspect, and I now think – you know, there that there's a real possibility that they don't get to Vegas unless they shore up the defense. They won't. Washington will beat them. Notre Dame will beat them. Oregon will beat them. You know, they'll have multiple losses if they don't shore up the defense. So I'll be really curious to see how Colorado does in this game. USC is going to win the game. I think USC is going to score a whole bunch of points. They they may get 50, 55 uh, on Colorado, but I, I think Shador Sanders in that Colorado defense will. We'll put up uh, a good 21, maybe 24. I'll still take USC minus 21 and a half, but it, to me it has like a 50 to 21 written all over it. I'll take uh, – I've got Colorado in the points. Uh, you know, one thing also about SC is last year the defense wasn't very good, right? But they had this incredible turnover margin. I uh, can't remember exactly how many takeaways it was during the regular season. It was somewhere in the 20 to 24. I think it was 22. Range. I think it was 22 takeaways. Yeah. They're not doing it. They're not taking the ball away at that rate this year. And that was a, that was a big piece of their success last season. I think, uh, I think Colorado's going to move the ball. SC clearly to me was not focused against ASU huge favorite in that game. They knew they had Colorado coming up. So I think they'll play better, but I think Colorado is going to play a lot better and it'll be a great atmosphere. And I, I like Colorado and I would not be that surprised if it goes down to the wire. I wow. just, I just, there's something uh, I need to see SC dominate against a team. That's not Nevada, San Jose state, Stanford, right? I mean, they, their, their schedule has been very soft. Yeah. I agree with you. I just, on that front, but I just don't think Colorado is that much better than the teams that, USC is embarrassing, so we'll we'll find out. Arizona State's at Cal, twelve o'clock on the Pac-12 networks. Cal is a eleven and a half point favorite at home. Who do you like? That's kind of like uh, making another team a twenty point favorite, just because <laughs> Cal's offense is so erratic. They can't get the quarterback situation figured out. The defense is is good, but not great. You know. ASU's got quarterback issues, right? Um, I think I think Trent Bourget is going to play, uh, but they, they have got a ton of injuries. 
this is a I, you can certainly see why this game's on Pac-12 networks, right? I mean, it's not it does not have the pizzazz of of any of the other games this week. I, I've got I've got ASU covering that eleven and a half, but I, I really don't know when you when you got mediocre teams playing or bad teams playing, it's hard it's hard to tell. I'm not going to play Lee Corso here. I'm going to say that this is a really intriguing game because I think it's one of those separation games in that lower tier of the conference. Like, you know, is Cal as good as I thought they were at the beginning of the year? Like, I thought Cal could be a middle-of-the-pack team, and Arizona State, they haven't looked good, but then they showed some life last week. I This is a really compelling game to me. I love home teams. I love home favorites. There's no doubt in my mind that Cal wins this game, but 11.5 points feels, yeah, like, a lot. It feels like a lot of points for a Cal offense that I think is going to try to win this game scoring like 24. So I will take Arizona State plus 11.5, but I think Cal wins at home. Home favorites in the Pac-12, they win. 23-16 is always a good score prediction for a Cal game. Whether Cal wins <laughs> or loses, 23-16, that is, that's their target score, just the way they take play. The, under. the over-under is 47.5. I, I think it goes under. Yeah, I do too. I do. Did you notice the over under on the SC Colorado game seventy three and a half? It's like a Mike yeah. Leach game. Yeah. Um, and they who they could be over that number by the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, we got or afternoon game Oregon at Stanford, also on Pac twelve networks three thirty kickoff. Ducks are favored by twenty seven and a half. I don't know if you want to uh, recount the uh, Oregon's. Uh, trials and tribulations against Stanford over the years, but uh, suffice it to say, the Ducks have uh, have stumbled more than more than once against uh, bad Stanford teams. Yeah, they, they, this this has got a letdown possibility. Uh, Dan Lanning's not going to give that same speech in, in the locker room at Stanford. But Oregon's a twenty-seven and a half point favorite, fresh off that win, three thirty on the Pac-12 networks. It's just, yeah, it has. It has underwhelming written all over it, but I think Oregon will win the game, and I think they'll win it handily. I just think they're really good. I don't, I, I, I don't think we can quite grasp what their ceiling is right now, but I think they're deep and good, and they're going to be too good for Stanford. So you know, I'll take Oregon. I'll lay the twenty-seven and a half. I don't feel great about it. It's a lot of points, but um, I think that uh, they beat Stanford pretty handily. I'm taking only I'm taking Stanford only because of the potential for the garbage time touchdown to cut a 33 point lead down to 27 and cover by half something like that. But I agree with you. Right, two years ago Stanford won. Uh, it turned out to be a very bad Stanford team. Uh, upset the Ducks in overtime. Oregon was ranked three at the time. We're not going to see that. Stanford's not as good, and Oregon is is better. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be super close in the second half. And that was that game that Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator at Oregon, went That's to right. the hospital before the game. They had no play caller. He left Mario Cristobal in charge of calling the plays, and we got yeah. We basically got Mario Cristobal trying to put David Shaw in a headlock. You know that that was right. what the offense amounted to. So yeah, yeah. I don't. It was think also that pass interference call in the end zone that Oregon yeah. fans were so so excited about. Yeah, but you put yourself <laughs> position. You put yourself in that position. You get what you you know deserve. Yes, absolutely. So, but absolutely, I, I think Bo Nix is too good in this game, and and I think he's he's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers right now, and he, Michael Penix Jr., Cam Ward, Caleb Williams. This conference has great quarterbacks. It's unbelievable. I, I just think we get a chance to see. Um, we got a chance to see Oregon and Bo Nix do that to Stanford. 
Last game of the night, the only night game Saturday, Washington at Arizona, 7 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Huskies are favored by 17 and a half. I, uh, total is 67 and a half for, you know, Huskies are viewed by some as the best team in the country right now, at least the way they're playing. They have, however, struggled in both Tucson and Tempe over the years, uh, really struggled to, to cover the spread. I've got I've got Arizona. I'm I'm sticking with all these big underdogs. I've got Arizona. I don't know that it's going to be super close, but uh, strange things seem to happen to Washington when they go to Tempe and Tucson. Is Jaden Delora playing? I think that's the question. If he does, how effective <coughs> is he with the ankle injury that he suffered at Stanford? Seventeen and a half point spread. Seven o'clock game. I just think the trend is your friend. Washington has destroyed teams and covered and has just been good i i'll take washington for now but i want to see if Jaden delore is healthy if he's healthy it could be a different game so i say for now i'll take washington and i'll lay the 17 and a half points yeah you talk about bo nicks playing chess washington is playing chess you know with their their playbook and their execution on offense i mean they are just they're rolling, and they ba- they basically shut it down at halftime every week. I mean, Michael Penix has got 16 touchdown passes. He could have – if they were playing him the whole – and he was throwing the ball the, for four quarters every game, he'd have 25 touchdown passes already. It's it's insane. But it's not going to – it's going to end at some point. I also think it's this is an interesting dynamic for both Washington and Oregon this week. They're both on the road. They're both big favorites. And then they got to buy next week. And then they got the showdown in Seattle. So how are they going to, are they going to be focused knowing, all right, after this, it's time to get ready for, for the arch enemy. So to me, that's a little bit of an interesting piece for both of them. Yeah. And uh, they both have bye weeks in front of that game. There'll be no belly yep. aching by anybody. And then comes all the chaos that we expect down the stretch week seven and beyond with all these teams playing the crossover games. It's going to be a lot of fun to see this. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. He's John Wilner. Find him at pac12hotline.com. Thank you for listening to this. Make sure you subscribe if you're not already. Tell your friends and family about it, and we will catch you with an all-new episode next week. Thanks, everyone.